Y'all not there? All right, let's get this thing moving. What's up, it's your boy, aka The Love Ambassador, coming to you straight live and direct from the Jungle Studios. What you just heard there was the one and only R.L. Burnside with Lyrics Born. Now, R.L. Burnside is interesting in the sense that he was a traditional blues musician that kind of went, uh, kind of appeared over kind of time, a little bit here, a little bit there, but didn't really find success until later in his life when he really uh, listened to the younger cats and basically mixed blues music with um, hip-hop, punk, garage, funk, uh, breakbeats, DJs and everything like that. And also uh, a new audience and younger audience through that really sort of discovered blues music and essentially like that the old dudes weren't really that kind of fuddy-duddies after all. R.L. Burnside was born November 23rd, 1926. He passed away September 1st, 2005. was an American blues singer, songwriter, guitarist. He played much. He played music for much of his life, but received little recognition before the early 1990s. In the latter half of the decade, Burnside recorded and toured with John Spencer, garnering crossover appeal and introducing his music to a new fan base in the punk, garage and rock scenes. He was born in e Ernest Burns. He was born to Ernest Burnside and Josie Malone in either Harmontown College Hill or Blackwater Creek. Either way, it was within the Lafayette County of Mississippi, near the area that would be covered by Sardis Lake a few years later. His first name is given vicariously as R.L. Rural, Robert Lee, Rural or Ruel. His father left the family early on and R.L. grew up with his mother, grandparents and several siblings. He played the harmonica and dabbled with playing guitar, beginning at the age of 16. He said he first played in public at age 21 or 22. He learned mostly from Mississippi Fred McDowell, who'd lived near Burnside since Burnside was a child. He first heard McDowell playing at age 7 or 8 and eventually joined his gigs to play a late set. Other local teachers were his uncle Law, Rainey Burnett, who was a popular player for Cinetobio, the mostly unknown Henry Harden, Son Hitler, Jess Vortes and Burnside's brother-in-law and possibly Stonewall's maze. Burnside started church singing and fife and drum picnics as elements of his childhood's musical landscape and he credited Muddy Waters, Lightning Hopkins and John Lee Hooker as influences in adulthood. Here we're going to go to something that's a little bit more of a traditional style from RL.
Like many people from the South, due to the harshness of segregation, uh, Jim Crow laws, and quite frankly, the Klan running around like absolute lunatics, um, Burnside joined the huge exodus up north. And in the late 1940s, he moved to Chicago, where his father had lived since he separated from his mother, in the hope of finding better economic opportunities. He found jobs at metal and glass factories, had the company of Muddy Waters his cousin-in-law, and enjoyed the blues scene on Maxwell Street. But things did not turn out as he had hoped. Within the span of one year, his father, two brothers, and two uncles were all murdered in the city. Three years after coming to Chicago, Burnside went back down south. He married Alice May Taylor in 1949 and 1950, his second marriage. He moved several times in the 1950s between Memphis, Tennessee, the Mississippi Delta, and the hill country of northern Mississippi. During his time in the Delta, he met bluesman Robert Lockwood Jr. and Alec Rice Miller. It seems it was around then that Burnside killed a man, possibly at a craps game, and was convicted of murder and incarcerated in Parchment Farm. He would later relate that his boss at the time had arranged to release him after six months as he needed Burnside's skills as a tech as a tractor driver. Well, that was actually pretty lucky, wasn't it? Um, he spent the next 45 years, not unlike his early years in Panola and Tate counties in northern Mississippi. At first, he kept particularly remote dwellings, working into the 1980s as a sharecropper, growing cotton and soybean as a commercial fisherman on the Tallahatchie River, selling his catch from door to door and as a truck driver. Later, he moved closer to Holly Springs after coming back to Mississippi and especially after marrying. He picked more local bar gigs, playing guitar in Duke Johnson bars, some under his management, at picnics and at his own open house parties and at occasional festivals. His career boomed in the last 20 years of his life. His earliest recordings were made in 1967 by George Mitchell, then a graduate student of journalism. Mitchell and his wife went on a 13-day summer trip in Mississippi, which resulted in the first recordings of several country blues artists. He came to Burnside's house near Coldwater on the advice of the Fife player and maker, Othar Turner. Mitchell wrote that Frank McDowell had not told him about Burnside, likely because Burnside possessed big-time competition. Six of the songs played on an acoustic guitar lent by Mitchell were released on Ahuli Records after two years, none others are on later records. Another album of acoustic material was recorded in 1969 for Adelphi Records, not typically released until 30 years later. Recordings from 1975 had a similar fate. These recordings feature Burnside playing acoustic guitar and singing, and a few tracks had harmonica accompanied by W.C. Vasily or M.C. Red. His early repertoire came from Hill Country and Memphis favourites, Johnny the Hook in Muddy Waters. He also had influences from Lightning Hopkins, Howlin' Wolf, Elmore James. In 1969, he performed for the first time outside of the United States at a program in Montreal with the legendary Lightning Hopkins and John Lee Hooker. As a solo performer, he made three tours in Europe, appearing before enthusiastic audiences, and in 1975 played the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. In 1974, Falco films him doing some of his jams, and that's what actually appears uh, throughout sort of the seven years later on with also Alan Lomar in 1978 filming him for a documentary, The Land Where the Blues Began. A series of these recordings come up from the 1970s. It's a very sort of rural and laid-back way of um, him actually playing on his guitar. Well, let's hear a bit more of his music. Don't you be jealous? They look mellow. 
Hanging away up in your tree Don't jump each other They look mellow Hanging away up in your tree Throughout the 1980s, we see him uh, slowly get involved in more performances and recordings, uh, and this is where he start, we start to see sort of the fusion of blues music coming out. Uh, he gets more and more involved with um, looking at sort of other genres in terms of like rock, funk, punk and whatever, and incorporating it into his music. Um, he also goes from sort of covering songs to, I guess, sort of really delving into what it is that he wants to do. He also tours. Um, Things like sort of the 1986 San Francisco Blues Festival, 1982 World's Fair. Around sort of in his late 70s or early 80s, Burnside was introduced and struck a partnership with Junior Kimbrough, and roughly a decade later, his own Burnside Palace had shut down. And the family lived next to Kimbrough's new Junior's place in Chillahomo, Mississippi, and collaborated with the counterpart musical family. Um, eventually, he finds his way. Um, to Oxford, Mississippi, where the Fat Possum Records, which is an independent record label, is in 1991. Uh, they dedicate to sort of recording aging North Mississippi bluesmen such as Burnside, and it's basically founded by two students who essentially love the music, um, love blues, and want to try and do their contribution to helping it out. It turns out that when they took on R.L. Burnside, they they kind of themselves stumbled onto uh, something that they probably didn't realise was going to be so successful. Uh, the first output was Bad Luck City in 92, then Bad Jim in 1994. Um, but a bit later on, he found a new, new sort of stable band, and he gets his grandson, who's still touring today, Cedric Burnside, to come onto the drums. Um, throughout the 90s, he, he releases an album of Ass pocket full of whiskey, starts touring a little bit more, uh, starts getting critical acclaim from people like Bono, Iggy Pop. Um, Billboard magazine wrote that it sounded like no other blues album ever released. Um, Ass pocket of whiskey really sort of changed the way that people were listening to the blues music because now when they started to hear it, they also heard um, elements of uh, DJs, techno and hip hop kind of coming through. The uh, after parting ways of the blues explosion, he does some remixes by Tom Rothrock. Uh, the experiment started with a track with Mr. Wizard 1997, an album based on a variety of sessions and matured into a full album of Come On In in 1998. Uh, this really catapults him to uh, a loyal following, uh, and he becomes a bit of a, I guess you could say, sort of a cult hero. Continues, continues to perform. Uh, he even sort of starts up for the likes of the Beastie Boys, goes on Conan O'Brien, HBO's Reverb, uh, plays at Richard Gere's birthday party, um, and also sort of participates in continuously growing, um, you know, the, the blues music. A huge amount of visitors start to go down to the Duke joints and the, and the, the musicians uh, to his friend Junior's Palace until it's burned down at 2000. Um he does sort of a series more of sort of documentaries, performs at festivals, um, and keeps sort of growing and growing and growing. In a short time, however, Burnside was in declining health. He had an ear infection and underwent a heart surgery in 1999. <laughs> 
But as you can see, he starts to grow more and more with that kind of, uh, yeah, mixing it up, really. And like I said, um, pun 1999, he starts to have heart surgery, starts to go into declining health. After a heart attack in 2001, his doctor advised him to stop drinking. Burnside did, but he reported that change left him unable to play. <laughs> he rebounded with a bothered mind in 2004 um, that used previously recorded guitar tracks, included collaborations with Kid Rock and Lyrics Born. Um, he continues to joke around with a playful spirit. Uh, commercially, he starts to even receive more success. Uh, the album's Rolling and Tumbling accompanied a 2002 Nissan commercial, Let My Baby Ride, goes on to be um, with the Sopranos uh, and other sort of famous things. Um, Burnside and Burnside peaked at number four at Billboard's Blues album charts and was nominated for a Grammy. Uh, the last artist to catch Burnside as an active band leader recorded in January 2001 with Brown and Cedric. In between Fat Possum license and released first recordings, 2003, comprising George Mitchell's 1967 recordings and its fullest additional traditional formats, and so on and so forth. The death and legacy. Another another heart attack in November 2002 resulted in a surgery in 2003 and short-circuited any future career plans he had. Yet Bernstein continued as a guest singer on occasions such as Bernaro Music Festival 2004 being his last public appearance. He died at St. Francis Hospital, Memphis, Tennessee, on September 1st, 2005, at the age of 78. Services were held at Russ College in Holy Springs with burial in the Free Springs Cemetery in Harmontown. Around the time of his death, he resided in Bahalia, Mississippi. So his style uh, had a powerful expressive voice that did not fail with old age, but rather grew richer and played both electric and acoustic guitar with and without slide. His drone heavy style was more characteristic of North Mississippi Hill Country Blues as opposed to Delta Blues. Like other country blues musicians, he didn't always adhere to the strict 12 or 16 bar blues patterns, often adding extra beats to a measure as he saw fit. A lot of it actually came back down to when they were playing in juke joints, because instead of playing for sort of the recordings and people sitting down like it was an actual jazz club, uh, these juke joints were pretty, you know, I mean, even by today's standards, they would have been a pretty fucking lit party. Um, so you had to really uh, move with the crowd as they were kind of getting drunker and having a good time. As was the case with its rumour, John Lee Hooker, Burnside's earliest recordings sound quite similar to one another, even repetitive. But later on, as he changed it up, it became a whole entire different story. His vocal style is characterised by a tendency to break briefly into the first set or usually at the end of long notes. Burnside's new many toasts, African-American folk poems such as Signifying Monkey and Tojo Told Hitler, and fondly recited them between songs at his concerts and in recordings. His narrator long jokes and concerts and social events in many sources noted as quick wit and charisma. And I'm going to leave you with Tojo Told Hitler just to show uh, the wit of the man. Uh, Tara Burnside, uh, he really helped uh, the blues music in terms of appealing to a younger generation. And a lot of the times what it did was it kind of sparked... Uh, Spark the flame in the person's mind, all right? It was the oil that was needed for the fire. And a lot of people that started off listening to R.L. Burnside because I thought it was sort of a slightly avant-garde hip-hop or techno or whatever, later on went on a journey to discover more of the blues music and, and the roots of where it came. So for that, we definitely thank you and also miss you. And like I said, I'll leave you with a bit of a Tojo told Hitler. When the bomb Pearl Harbor that night, you know, Tojo, he jumped up out of bed, man. Dial operator. Operators, give me one one oh nine.
See, I want to speak to Adolphus Hitler, who is a personal friend of mine. Said, look, operator. Said, I want you to get these goddamn numbers straight. Said, tell Adolphus ain't no use of rushing because he already too motherfucking late. By that time, the phone rang, you know, and Adolphus jumped up out of his bed. No hat on his head, no shoes on his feet, and his heart beating like steel. Because he know Tojo was his driving wheel. Hello, Tojo. He said, hello, Adolphus. See, I'm just calling I know you're the king of Japan this year, but I'm calling you to tell you that I'm a worried man. He said, I just told my wife before I left, when I get to your goddamn ass, I'd kick your ass myself. <coughs> See, ain't a goddamn thing you told me came out right. I thought you said them allies couldn't fight. So you fool us way off down yonder in Bougainsville. Why, 15,000 of our best men just fucked around and got killed. See, that's what I told her last night before I left. If I could get to your goddamn ass, I'd kick your ass myself. I was in the back then, you know, with my head in a paper sack. But I was steady telling Nellie to keep her belly close to mine, you know. <laughs>